0: Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mabe. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and Today's special guest, will he wears multiple hats, as you'll hear in a moment. Uh, but before we get to our guest, I do have a co-host helping me today to do this interview, Coach Mike Hanson, who works at the University of Texas. He trains our women's swim team and our women's crew rowing team. Mike, say hello to everybody today. Hello, everybody. So, Mike, good to have you in here to help with the interview. Uh, Mike and Dan have a, have a relationship through uh, Coach Cal Dietz and just through following uh, Dan Victor, Victor uh, uh, on different uh, things you've done. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest. who's Dan Victor. Am I saying it right, Coach? You're saying it right. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. It's great to be here. And uh, he got in late last night. Dan is here speaking at our clinic this weekend. This is January. He got in from New York, right, Coach? Yep. So he's a little sleep-deprived. Deprived and uh, but he's here. Have you had your barbecue yet coach? I
1: have not. So we have, <laughs> have <not>.
0: failed him <laughs> We'll get
1: there. We we'll, get get nice.
0: we'll get him we'll get him we'll gotta get him Tex-Mex and we got to get him barbecue so a uh, little bit about Dan and uh, I'm gonna turn it over to you Mike but Dan is the owner of w- Want to Get Fast. It's a sports performance business in Rochester, New York, and the head football coach at Say it again for his coach.
1: Rondacoid High School. I, I
0: mean. cannot say that yet. I need to work <laughs> on it. But he's a head high school coach, and he's one of the most innovative and educated coaches in our field. And I would uh, attest to that. You spoke to our staff today, and it was just it was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Dan's knowledge of the neurological aspects of training is on another level. He travels around the country speaking on speed training, strength training, and how developing the nervous system can dramatically increase performance. So that's a little bit about Dan. Coach Hansen, take it from here and lead us into it.
2: Yeah, thanks for joining us, Dan. Um, first, we just want you, um, if you can, to introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, how did you become a high school head football coach? Um, what was that path like? And how did you become an owner of a private training facility?
1: Oof. Uh, um. Ironically, I went to Court High School um, as a high school senior, played football ran track, um, I, I wanted to compete in three sports, played basketball, um, so I was a multi-sport athlete in high school, decided I wanted to play football, although basketball was my favorite sport, but I'm vertically challenged, so that wasn't going to happen, so I, I kept up with the football. At least two of us. <laughs> hmm. And uh, played football collegiately at Brockport State, Division Three school in upstate New York. Had an opportunity to play in the Arena Football League for a few years in Canada. Um, so with that quest of trying to play professional football, I delved into the, the strength training and the speed training, and it just absolutely intrigued every part of me um, to figure out how people run so fast and are so strong. Um, from there, I got my degree from Brockport, and I started to teach. So I was a high school phys ed teacher for 11 years, and in that time period, I was running my gym, and probably about halfway through opening my gym, I was like, I I, got to do this full time to be able to commit to it. So I left teaching, left teaching for about five years to open up two businesses, one in Rochester, New York, and one in Tampa, Florida. Um, And all that time, I was an assistant football coach. So then the head football coaching job came open at the high school that I went to, and I'm like, I have to do that. That's something that you know, yeah. you just feel like it's it's your calling. And uh, so I closed the gym in Tampa and I said, I'll have one gym here. I'll go back to teaching and I'll be the head high school football coach. And I've loved every second of that change and just the ability to meet new people and coming out here. It's, it's been a blast. It's been a yeah, blast. That's awesome.
2: Um, your, your, your approach to training is unique in that you use a variety of methods um, that aren't too commonly used. Uh, to influence the neuromuscular system in order to maximize performance. Um, So can you talk about why the nervous system is so important for performance, and then maybe dive into a few brain-based methods that you do use?
1: Well, I think the nervous system is important because, I mean, most people talk about training the central nervous system when they're training. I, I take a little bit more um, a philosophy about brain-based stuff. Are we really addressing right hemisphere, left hemisphere? Are we talking about cerebellum stuff? I mean, these are the things that get down to actual movement patterns, and to be honest, we are strength coaches, we are conditioning coaches, but we're movement coaches. We have to help athletes move better. If we don't, don't care how strong you are, don't care how fast you are, if you don't move correctly, you're either going to get hurt, or your performance is going to be terrible. So that quest, and, you know, you talk about, there's a lot of different philosophies rolled into what I do because I've learned from so many great people. I, I tell you, if there's anything that I would brag about, it'd be the opportunity that I've had to study with different people and the great mentors I've had. Um, you know, I, I've been out with Mel Siff from Super Training. I've had an opportunity to sit down with some really phenomenal strength and conditioning coaches and just learn from people and continue to learn, and then from there, you Develop what you do, mm-hmm.
0: Coach. You kind of you, you kind of talked about it today with our staff. But uh, what are some things you do to assess your athlete's nervous system readiness? You know, today Omega, they got a lot of technology, but I mean, really, the coach's eye still is probably one of the best
1: tools. Would you agree? Yeah, I I really believe that. And so, what I do is I take a look at three or four different systems in the body to see how we can impact movement one of those systems is the vestibular system so and i'll talk about that tomorrow when, when i speak to in that seminar is how do we evaluate the the vestibular system we'll also talk about the eyes and the power the power behind the eyes not just from lifting heavy weights but how it can impact our human gait, which is what we're all chasing And as much as we all like to lift weights and do these things, your gait pattern is so responsible for the success that you have in athletics that you have to address it in training. You have to. Um, So we'll address the proprioceptive system, the vestibular system, the visual system, and we try to to pack that all into what we're normally going to do in a workout. And if I can get that involved in a weight room session – without kids knowing I'm doing it, that's the way I that's like to key, do it. That's key, isn't it? Yeah. That's key. Yeah, because then they're they're asking questions like, why, why this, why that? And it, their job is to get better. And if they're getting stronger while I'm implementing these techniques, that's all that matters.
2: Do you, do you have a few examples of, as far as how you address, whether it be in the warm-up yep. or during your, your session, um, whether it's the vestibular system um, or the
1: ocular system, whatever yep. it may be? So today we talked a little bit about eye dominance, right? Eye dominant, left eye dominance. And we, we showed examples of how that can create strength or how can it can actually limit you. So if you know that that's a strength or you know it's a weakness, training it is going to help it, right? So I don't think many people train their weak eye in a gym. The gyms that I've gone and talked to people, they don't no, understand no. those concepts, so but it's pretty powerful, and it gets instantaneous results. So we address that. The vestibular system can be added to anything um, as a potentiation because it's responsible for your extensor muscles. So spinning and rolling and tumbling, all these things mm-hmm. activate your vestibular system, which in turn kicks in same-side extensors. If I can do that, I'm going to enhance performance. So it's kind of like a no brainer that I want to get these involved right away before we work out and even after to recover because the vestibular re- system is responsible for your parasympathetic nervous system. If we can get those kicked in as we're done training and I can get back to that normal heart rate, I can get back to our rest and digest, I'm ahead of the game, recovering faster.
2: Yeah, I really liked that example you gave us uh, earlier today. Um, if you're a right tackle, Um, and maybe your right eye is not so dominant or not as dominant as your left eye, Um, that can be a weakness if you have an end coming off the edge to your right side.
1: Yep, and Um, uh, learning from a lot of great football coaches that you have to have an answer. You always have to have an answer for somebody. they do. They want to know. Right. So, I mean, as as a football coach, I'm not quite sure I have an answer why my right tackle can't kick slide, and every time that the left end's coming in, he can't block them. Well, he might not be able to do it because he's, Left eye dominant and his right visual field is weaker. Right. So, knowing how to train that can make you a better football player. That's good stuff. That's really good.
0: What about if we were to go into your weight room coach? What kind of, if you were to give us a little bit of a a snapshot, what kind of exercises, um, methods you would be using to enhance performance.
1: Well, the two guys who run my gym now, Nick Marino and, and Donato Clemente, they, they made the trip up here with me. Um, what you would see from them are two guys that have been through the system before that are as explosive as anybody I've ever coached in the gym and both have over a 40 inch vertical jump and can bench press two and a quarter until you tell them to stop. But what you'll see is force absorption. Can your body absorb force and can it absorb force in the proper position? And once that happens, good things starts to happen.
0: But that, those are two coaches that can demo everything. Yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> I can't do that anymore. They're, they're yeah, pretty good. good. I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you, coach. So. Those are
2: the interns we try to recruit <laughs> to all of our uh, demonstrating for us. Yeah. Um, we've kind of already addressed this a little bit, um, but we can maybe dive a little bit further, and that's. Um, In your observation or in your opinion, are there any key variables um, or even pieces to performance that get swept over in our field, um, maybe are underutilized, um, whether it be isometrics or whatever other methods, um, anything that's largely unexplored?
1: Yeah, I'll say two things. One is the relationships you have with the kids that you're training. I think it's important for, for them to trust you and to have faith in you as you're starting to, especially in a program like mine where things are different. It doesn't look like a normal weight room, no. right? So they have to build that trust. So you have to show them that you care about them in order for them to care and for them to get better. So that'd be number one. Number two is definitely the use of isometrics. Um, isometrics in various positions, isometrics as it relates to recovery, as it relates to a potentiation um, in all phases. Um, and then addressing the gate, the human gait, if you're not addressing it, um, I think you're really minimizing the the results you're going to get.
2: Yeah. Uh, We talked a little bit, again, about it today um, with long-duration isometrics um, or whatever name that you do have for those, but holding a position um, typically seen as like a yielding isometric, um, one that you're not pushing against a movable object. Um, What are some um, adaptations that you seek when you utilize those um, and how you coach them? Yeah,
1: well, I think... Jay Schroeder is the guy who, who, who claimed that and, and started that. But isometrics have been around for a long time with the, with the Russians about joint specific isometrics and all that stuff. And we know that it works and we know it's a real powerful way to get strong. What we didn't realize up until recently is that when you do things in a split squat stance and you're working isometrically there, you are actually the brain will actually complete the process for you. So if you are in a split squat lunge, you are actually working on your sprinting gait, and your brain believes that it's operating at full speed. So now you're minimizing the impact forces. You're going to minimize injuries in your gym, and your body is going through those patterns, whether it be from reflex arcs, whether it be from muscle recruitment of how you are getting into the isometric positions. So it does a lot in terms of fixing the way we run. Because when people come to my gym, they always say, well, your name of your company is Want to Get Fast. Are you going to teach my son or daughter how to run with your knees up on the balls of your feet? I'm like, no. People don't run on the balls of their feet or on their heels on purpose. They run because they are, they have something from a neurological standpoint where they're deflecting force, where they cannot absorb force. So we have to find that in the weight room and we have to fix it. I'm
0: curious, real. I got a little interesting question here. So I'm uh, I have four daughters yep. and uh, been I've seen them come up through high school athletics and I'm really I've, I've watched the club we have my daughters have played club volleyball a lot, club soccer. yep talking about a little bit about your working with younger athletes. Yep. What have you seen as far as uh, early sports specialization and some of your training and what have you done? To help maybe offset some of the negative effects of that. What are yeah. your thoughts on that, Coach?
1: I, I think we are playing so much game stuff, basketball, volleyball, year round. Yeah, yeah. year round. That I think what happens is your skill is better than your physiology. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one, one to say. It, you know, Retweet. so so you can't. If your skill level is higher than your physiology, you're going to break at some point. So we have to back it up a little bit and readdress that physiology part. And a lot of people don't do that. I think isometrics is the best way to do that with kids who are that active, mm-hmm. right? Because parents will come in and say, well, we have volleyball on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then soccer on Thursday. And then we, and I'm like, and you want to train. Save your money.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we have, I mean, just the, my daughter playing volleyball they'll be in a tournament two days in a row they'll play five or more matches in one day we don't ask our high level athletes to do that yep. but we're asking our young athletes to do that mm-hmm. now obviously they're not playing it with the same impact and force and it's not at the speed right but still it's it's and it's, it's on top relative. of concrete yeah it's sport court on concrete to, to hear what you say Yep. There's a gap there that's really big missing, though.
1: I think we have to start addressing it. Again, it's it's when a, when a, I look at my son, I, I watch him do things with the basketball at nine years old. I'm like, boy, I, I couldn't do those ones. But he wants to do A, but his body's not ready to yeah. do it. So he's going to get the B result, and that's right. not good. So
2: Yeah, I'm growing up in Minnesota playing hockey and then right. even working with hockey players, um, it's probably the equivalent of Texas football, and you see the extreme side of that. Sure. So, we're at the gym. Um, hockey players come off the ice where they got up early, mm-hmm. 6 a.m. to 7:30 or 9 or 8, excuse me. They'll come right up to the weight room, roll out, warm up, lift. It's been an hour and a half. So they've spent the first three to three and a half hours of their day training. They'll come back later in the day, in the afternoon, do some stick handling, shooting. Um, More hockey, kind of on dry yeah. land, just, and it just never ends, right? Because then you have your tournament teams in the summer that you need to make in yeah. order for, you know, scouts to see you or whatever yeah. it may be. And before you know it, you're back right into the regular season of hockey.
1: So. We got to a point in the summer when I was training some high-level hockey players where I'd watch them run, and I'm like, stop, stop. <laughs> we're not doing that because you're going to hurt yourself.
2: Fish out of water.
1: And we got to figure yeah. out something else for you to do because you, you never learned that skill. You were on the ice. And that's okay. I mean, they're making millions of dollars now, so I guess it paid off for them. But what about all the other people who aren't, who didn't develop all those skills? I remember I tried to teach tumbling to a bunch of hockey players. Did not go well. Simple tumbling, just a roll. You had to fall properly, too, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's going to be a cost to that. There's going to be a cost to that.
0: Well, speaking of movement, what strategies or methods have you used
1: to improve motor learning, coach? Well, (laughs) some of the systems that we're working with now, um, are addressing motor control restoration, which I don't think anybody's utilizing that stuff right now. Guy out of Chicago created the system, and it's it's just it's unbelievable how simple brain communication with joint actions that are intolerant of load can change the way you move and the way you can learn new patterns. Um, I think everybody is into, you know, the motor learning part of rehearsing things and practicing. Yeah, we got that down pretty good. Mm-hmm. But from a s- standpoint of trying to increase your capacity to learn it and absorb those forces from it in multiple joint planes of motion, I, I think that's that's where our industry is going. Good stuff. Um. Can
2: I take you back to isometrics a little bit?: Sure, um, so I know we kind of talked about long duration ISOs. Yep. do you use anything that's short duration? Um, do you use overcoming ISOs you know what types do you
1: use um, Cal talked a lot about the feet. We use all those foot isometrics. Um, Big believer in that. We use a lot of short five-second isometric holds to fix, like we were talking about the motor control issues. Mm -hmm. So in order to restore that motor control, those certain types of isometric exercises allow the brain to communicate better with the um, the joints. So once you have that, implementing any other training system is going to make it that much better. So isometrics play a role from the start to the finish. Right.
2: And I know it can be a little bit unique um, depending on how you coach it or who you are yep. and where you learned. Um, but I've heard before, um, whether it's um, a heavy iso or something that you're going to hold for a long duration, um, to be constantly pulling yourself into position.
1: Is that something that you cue? Yeah, we do. Pulling ourselves into position and the intent of what what is the intent of the movement? Meaning if you're doing a split squat lunge, is your thought process on running? So now we're going to get more motor more unit activation based off of that gait cycle or that sprint cycle. A lot of people just hold it just to hold it, right? So they're, right. they're wiping their nose. They're doing all kinds of other things. I want the athlete invested in exactly what they're doing at that moment.
0: Versus passively kind of exactly. just sitting in that yep. position. Yeah. How I'm curious. How frequently would you use ISOs? I
1: oh, mean, we use them all the a, time a every year, day. I mean, every workout? Every workout. They're doing some type of isometric work. Yep, yep. We build it in intraset where they're doing isodynamic, where they're holding it on their chest and then repping out after that. we will do it at the bottom of a squat to multiple reps of squats. We will do it just in a a bar iso hold for a long duration. We'll do a wall squat, we'll do a lunge. Um, Like I said, our warmup is joint specific isometrics. So we use it in all areas of our training. And
0: the biggest return on the ISOs, what's your what's been the well, biggest? Well, first
1: of all, it's it's the force absorption issue that you need to be able to absorb force. But if you're constantly absorbing force in the wrong position, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, that's um, true. So I think it keeps your injuries down in the weight room.
0: Yeah, the way, uh, I mean, I've started experimenting with some of them and, and I really like them. Yep. I don't know, personally, I've, I've I've done some myself. It doesn't beat me up. And that's yeah. what I think, yeah. you know, I don't feel like my muscles are, they feel strong still. Yeah. But I'm not walking around like, kind of like, oh man, I just went through a tough session right there, you know? Right. Yeah,
2: you're still getting that neuro stimulation from it um, without having to yeah. put your muscles through the work of it. So.
1: Because if you think about like a yielding isometric or something where you're pushing against something that's not moving, right? You're going to rip, you're going to rip apart a little bit. That's pretty, you know, intense workout. When you're pulling yourself into position and holding end ranges of motion, it's a completely different um, animal to the brain. And then, while we're in those positions, I'll begin to add other neurological stacking, we call it. So whether it's eye exercises, vestibular exercises, um, vestibular colic reflex stuff, um, all look like weird tricks, but they're, they're just sensory input that's making the motor pattern that we're creating in that isometric even more powerful.
0: Yeah, you make me think. I, we just took a course recently and I don't know if you've looked into it yet, but it's called Stick Mobility. Okay. And we've got the sticks in the gym and it's fairly new. It's not that new, but it's just a system built around ISOs. Yep. When you get when you get right down to it, if you want to increase mobility of a joint, <laughs> you've got to you got to have these ISOs yeah. and there's varying degrees. They don't use isometrics, they use I think it's irradiation is the, their terminology. It's yep. a little different. Okay. And they use it a lot for priming, for doing some of the bigger lifts. Mm-hmm. But also, again, I think just from taking the course, it opened up my eyes of just the importance and power of just holding positions with
1: tension. Yep. And that opens it up. So You, you look at kids' position now, it's terrible. We have to go back and reteach kids how to get in the proper position for anything. Right. Um, and I think we we go from A to Z so fast because their skill level is taking off so much that they think when they come in the weight room this is going to be easy. We got to go back and get to those rudimentary. Right.
2: Yeah. With the um, with the tissue reeducation. So our rowing our rowers tried that uh, this year for our GPP. It was yep. The second year in a row we've done it. Um, but we threw them into a long duration ISO. So two minutes, three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, we went up to four minutes. Um, but you, you can see the difference. Like that comes back to the coach's eyes. In the warm up, you can kind of see when they stand. So with our rowers, they do thousands of strokes a day, where they don't get to full hip extension. And that's on top of yeah. sitting in class for however many yeah, hours a, a week good, they're good in. Good observation, right? Yeah. So we'll do those um, those split lunge isos where we put them in that position, and they're cued to pull themselves down to just above the ground. Um, and whether it works or not, I don't know, but from the eye test, it's like they stand up after that and they're sore, but they just, they stand taller without even being told. And they're um, ready
1: to do it again. Yeah. They can recover at the same time. That's That's right. That's kind of neat when you're, when you're talking about brain stuff, it's also reflex driven. So if you are training something, you should be recovering at near the same time. Right. Um, so the other, the other part with, with ISOs that, that we'll do is a lot of times we'll control their breathing. Right. So I'm a big... We put water in their mouth, and it forces nasal breathing. Mm-hmm. When you start to manipulate that, the performance gains are incredible. yeah, I've heard of the military has been using that for a long. I used while. to tape their mouth shut, but then some of the administration does the it doesn't mouth. look so good. Yeah, then good the administration walked in and saw <laughs> no, and I'm like, well, I keep them quiet. They don't talk when they're training, but um, you know I, the, the book, the Oxygen Advantage, yeah. if you ever read that book.
0: I have not. I've seen oh. Coach, read it. Patrick McKeown, You read that yeah, book, yeah. right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah it's good. Yep. Yeah. Um, We're designed to a, breathe, through our, breathe through our nose, right. not our mouth, ever. Uh, diaphragmatic
2: breathing. Um, Evan Osar, I don't know if I pronounced his name right, he is, uh, have you heard of Evan? I have not. Um, so he he's big into, uh, I think he's a chiropractor, or he's more I've of an AT-bound. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, he talks about nasal breathing and diaphragmatic breathing in, in quite a few of his books.
1: Oh, so. yeah. Oh yeah, Very which echoes the same thing as oxygen advantage. Yep. So what? So instead of taping, we'll put you know water in the mouth, and it does the same trick. It oh. Does the same trick.
2: And that's almost the concept of of stacking. Um, you're Absolutely. working on one thing while yep. at the same time working on another. Absolutely. Which you can add. I've I've heard you do. Is it isocades?
1: Yep. Isocad. We do all different types of eye exercises, and we'll test to see which ones kids respond to. So when they're doing their isometrics, they know what eye positions they're going to get into. And then we do some stuff with um, cerebellum eye positions that will allow you to get into a deeper lunge. Because as you look a certain way, it activates certain parts, certain muscles, but it also relaxes certain muscles. So it's a great way to lengthen a stride. It's a great way to get into different positions.
2: Which all of this just kind of reinforces that everything just comes back to the
1: brain. It does. It's it really does. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I've heard that uh, I've heard both you and Cal speak about the influence um, that bilateral and unilateral exercises have on the nervous system. Uh, we talked a little bit about it earlier today. Um, it seems that the bilateral versus unilateral exercise um, has been kind of a continuous debate amongst coaches in our field, um, whether one's better, one's worse, one's good, one's not. Um, and while there are merits of both, depending you know on one's circumstances or what they have to work with, can you weigh in on how those patterns? of both bilateral or unilateral exercises influence the nervous system?
1: I, I don't have a preference on either one. Yeah. I think both have merit and both can can help an athlete. What I do think you have to realize, and I explained this today, is that there is a negative consequence to lifting weights bilaterally. There just is. I mean, it will temporarily paralyze your nervous system to where you don't have strength. Um, and I, I've shown that hundreds of times at various clinics. Now, it doesn't mean you lose your strength forever, it simply means that you need to respond with something that is of a cross-crawl concept. And most unilateral stuff is cross-crawl. So, you know, do I like unilateral training? Absolutely, I think it's great. If the athlete is prepared to be on one leg, that's awesome. Um, But I think it's more of a brain issue, and to be honest, I don't think it's debatable. Because I think bilateral training's fine, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Right. It's just you better have the answer when it shuts off because if you look at power lifters they're not the best movers and again our business we get paid to make people move right
2: one of the sorry coach uh, one of the things you said there that stuck out was was there's a consequence to it yeah, right yeah and it's not only just bilateral but really anything we do in the weight room whether it's an isometric or breathing or It seems like there's, of course, a pro to it, or there should be a reason to why we're doing it. But there's also always consequences. Absolutely. Um, I think that's something, just from my limited experience in the field, um, that sometimes gets overlooked amongst coaches is whatever you are doing, it's, you know, not the end of it. um, It's not the, the answer always, right? There's a consequence to what you're doing, and you have to evaluate what are you giving and
1: what are you taking. But the stuff that I've studied in the last three years, it just confirms that I know very little about the human body. (laughs) Um, Because I've I've spent a lot of years doing things that I thought were, this is the best, and I've completely changed my philosophy. So you have to, in this business, I think you have to be willing to, you know, stick your neck out there and go, what else is out there? Because I can't have all the answers. And we don't have all the answers.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I think uh, going back to the, unilateral sport by nature is is imbalanced and you get i mean just i think i really like what you said that you know bilateral is great and everything but there are some consequences to that and it seems like with the unilateral training you can kind of you can address compensations which you talked a little bit about today and though you'll see you you can you can uh, evaluate engage Maybe where there is a compensation or weakness that if you don't, if you're doing that with a bilateral movement, you just maybe increase
1: that. Yeah. Well, I I think the brain likes two things. I think it likes targets, number one, and complex movements, number two. So if we're not doing either one of those things, I don't think we are getting the most out of what our brain can give us back for sports performance. And what I mean by a target is, um, and I tell people this, if you're a power clean person, if that's your philosophy. When we power clean, there's not an end game. It's a technique. It's a skill. But if I picked my foot up and put it in a certain area, that's a skill and a target that I have to get to. So now the brain's going, hmm, I'm a little bit more interested in the end product here. So if my foot ends up on a wall where there's an X and my hips are in the right position that it would look like when I was running, now that becomes a little bit more specific to the brain it has a target and now from a motor learning standpoint if i learn how to do that i've also put my hips in the right position to be a, a better runner so so targets are one complex movements are another we have to be able to give our brain complex movements something new something novel a new stimulus or else it becomes lazy it becomes lazy yeah
2: and we've seen Franz Bosch um, yep. address the targets, right? Even yep. if you're going to utilize a power clean. Absolutely. That's um, that's not too new, kind of like you were saying, Coach. But um, certainly it feels like we're progressing in that manner, kind of like you said, uh, circling back to the beginning.
1: Yep. Um, is that's just the way things are starting to trend. You know, I hear Franz talk about um, co-contractions of the spine. I'll wind it back even deeper saying that when you when you stimulate the vestibular system, you're forcing those paraspinal muscles of the spine to turn on. So now you're actually doing brain training. I don't think he explains it that way. He's more into the motor learning aspect of it and the target spot, but that's still brain activation because your brain has to be able to um, turn those spinal, spinal muscles on to create stability before it's going to let go any force in your lower body. Right,
2: right. and that's the brain... Mm. essentially limiting our outputs, right, based on what it thinks is safe for us. Threats.
1: It's all about threats.
2: Yep. Yeah. One thing I've struggled with with the bilateral training um, versus unilateral is uh, I work with a sport like rowing, where it's kind of bilateral in nature. Um, And so I do fight with myself as far as, well, okay, they're gonna do this many bilateral hip extensions every single day, um, how much unilateral training should I do? Um, what offsets the brain is it even is it even worth putting time in to do that because I don't know you know exactly if what I'm doing is right exactly helping
1: but well, I think one of the things you can do is is test it muscle test it right so if they're if they're rowing and you're muscle testing them and, and again it's not just a muscle test to see how strong you are it's more of a neural response of are they engaging are they locking out so if you just reverse the hands that might You know, and some of the, let's say, of the five minutes you're rowing, a minute of it is reversed hands. That might be enough. Um, We build into our football program. Where the kids come in for recovery, they take their shoes off, they're walking in grass, and I tell them purposeful walking, where they're going to leave their heel on the ground as long as they possibly can in that gait cycle to lengthen those hip flexors out that we've had shortened while they were sitting in school. So we're killing two birds with one stone. We're gaining electrons from the ground by grounding, strengthening Mm -hmm. our feet, and we're walking with a purpose. Mm -hmm. Because now if I'm taking a 1,000 steps, that's a 1,000 steps of a longer hip flexor. And I, I tricked them.
0: That's <laughs> big time. Yeah, I kind of wanted to. I'm just out of the curiosity. Of me, I want to change gears just for a yeah. second, and because I want to circle back to some things you said earlier uh, when you were introducing yourself. You're a head coach. I am. That to, and you, you own your own business. I do. And you, you said you opened up two. I did. So, just as a, as a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, when I heard you say that, I, that was just a daunting task. When you just being a head coach and having your own, and you, you travel and speak, can you just talk a little bit? What's it like being a head coach? And then obviously you're an entrepreneurial. Yeah, got this kind of side to you. And I think a lot of coaches have
1: this side to them. How do you do that? What kind of where'd that come from? Well, I, I'm I'm blessed because first of all, two different reasons. N- number one, I have great people all around me. I've had the opportunity to hire some great people. Like my staff on the football program is, it's got to be tops in New York State. I mean, I've got guys that have won state championships to young coaches who have that fire. So, when you, in order to be a great leader, I think it's it's servant leadership makes you a leader, right? So you have to be able to give back to the people that are helping you. Um, and I, I've I've been blessed with that. The, the, the second part of that, in terms of running running a business, is I've been blessed because I don't, I'm not a businessman. I love to train. I love to watch people get stronger and faster. It's been a passion. And when it started, all it did was fund my research. Now it, I'm lucky enough where it can bring in a little bit of an income, but it's nowhere near where it should be. But just because, I'm gonna be honest with you, if I can do it, it's like cheating. I love it. You don't have to pay me to do it. I love it. Um, and the two guys that are running it now, are just as vested in it. And it's awesome to see any so,
0: plan to write a book in the future. Do anything like that?
1: Yeah. I think Cal and I are going to write a book.
0: Whoa, <laughs> whoa, well, well, we got, do we have that on record? <laughs> oh, we we got that, that recorded. Of- We're going to hold you to it. <laughs> it <Coach. laughs>
1: um, yeah, I, I've, I've always thought I'm not a good writer. I'm, I'm a doer. Like I want to, I want to be in the weight room. I want, I want to be involved in it. Um, but I always wanted someone to maybe just, of jot down things as I'm talking because as it comes out, sometimes I don't even understand what I'm saying, <laughs> it just comes out. But
0: uh, what's well, good? It's no. pretty pretty amazing, though. He's a head coach and does all that's that's crazy. I mean, yeah. you, you, not, you're not bored,
1: yeah. No, and yeah. the other part about it too is a lot of times in coaching, you sacrifice a lot of family stuff. I'm, I'm able to have my son with me a lot of times during that coaching, and that's a really big deal for me. Like, he can come to practice, he comes to the games, he's getting involved in the training part of it. And, uh, like coming out here, he was so excited that I was coming out here because of Colt McCoy and and that's good stuff. uh,
0: I'll tell you what, Texas fans all over. That's right.
2: The eyes of Texas are upon you. Always coach. Always. Um, one cool thing about why we brought you down here, um, is again, we talked about like it's your unique approach to training, Mm -hmm. right? It's understanding neurology. It's understanding how the brain at the end of the day ultimately affects performance and so I only say that to say we're excited and we're gonna keep our ears to the ground if you do start writing a book, <laughs> uh, whether it be with Cal or, or Matt sure, yeah. Van Dyke. But yep. I think, uh, I mean, we've talked about it. Like that's that's kind of the way or the realm um, that our field is trending. Yep, is uh, brain
1: based. I mean, it is. Yeah, it really is. So, and like I said, I've been lucky enough to be able to you know sit with a lot of great minds. I mean, like you look at a guy like Cal Dietz, I mean, he's off the charts. I think he's one of the best in the business. Um, and it, it's, it's awesome to hear people speak. Like I'm looking forward to listening to the speakers tomorrow. Um, it was wonderful to come into your weight room today and watch your staff go to work. I mean, you can yeah, learn something everywhere it, you go. Appreciate you can it. learn something everywhere you go. Absolutely.
0: Well, just here, uh, you obviously are well read. Any uh, so there's some bookworms I'm sure listing research junkies yep. out there. Uh, professional development. Um, can you give us anything? Books, courses. What would you recommend? Kind of.
1: Um, one of the courses that I that I took that I think is a game changer is is John Imes and his Primal Reflex Release Technique. Um, it basically deals with Sherrington's Law of Reciprocal Inhibition. And it's pretty powerful how we can use it in the weight room, and the therapy table. It's, that was profound. And, I, and tomorrow, in, in part of my, my seminar speech, I'll talk about the five things that really impacted me as a coach. One of them was being able to sit down with Dr. Peter Weyen and, and listen to his research on human locomotion. Um, And having an opportunity to speak with some of these great minds that aren't necessarily in, quote-unquote, the strength and conditioning field. Um, I used to think when I was younger, oh, therapy, you know they're going to balance on a Swiss ball. I can't make that happen in my weight room. So I shut it off to not listening. And then I started thinking, you know what? Let me listen and see if I can gain something to help what I do. And lo and behold... It's all about your filter.
0: Yeah, and David Epstein, if you've heard of that author, yep. he just yep. finished a book that came out called Range. He says, basically, the book you just said it in a nutshell <laughs> that if you want to find answers to whatever you're doing, your field or whatever, don't stay in your don't stay in that one. You got to broaden that range yep. to find creative solutions and answers to problems that you have within your context.
1: Right. I've had medical doctors come in. And we'll do some reflex stuff. And they're like, this is unbelievable. I'm like, you're a medical doctor. How did you not know that <laughs> right? we have this? And they're like, well, that's not what we do. What we do is we have adopt- got mainstream, yeah. Right. So instead, like, and then it, but if you take a look at some of the people who created some of these systems, they're so brilliant and so passionate that they come off and people look at you and go, ooh, I, I, I'm not doing that, that's crazy but they have something good. I can't tell you how many times I was at a lecture and people would walk out. Strength coaches will walk right out of a lecture because somebody said something that was so unbelievably blowing people away and different that that can't be true and walk out. Well, they missed the last part of it because the last part was the best part. I'm not going to use the first part. I'm going to use the last part. So there's always something to learn. Whether you hate something or not, you can learn.
2: Yeah, I mean, here at Texas we have um, like you said, we have athletic trainers, behavior, health, nutritionists, strength and conditioning coaches, sports science. Yep. Um, and while we may all have our jobs within those platforms, I think all of us kind of owe it, um, to ourselves and each other and the athletes we serve. Um, and that's our jobs blend kind of in, in each of those. No question. Right? Our umbrella covers all five of those. And so, you know, you may specialize in just one of them. But whatever you are doing, it affects the other four, you know, however you end up dividing it.
1: Even in the medical community, like if you're talking about anatomy trains, the book, right? There'll be physicians who will say, okay, this is uh, fascia. Somebody will say, well, there's a bioelectric charge around that fascia. Somebody will say, well, that's a meridian. Well, somebody will say that's a reflex. It's all the same stuff. But somebody's explaining it differently. Somebody from Eastern Europe is going to talk differently about a meridian, Chinese meridian, than the actual Chinese acupuncturist, right? So it's not wrong. It's just a different way they explain it. And if it gets a result, that's what you got to worry about. That's what you got to think about. And that's what you got to try to make fit into what you do. Yeah, and I
0: think, too, you know, technology is on such a – it's such a – that's the buzzword now. Everybody's selling every gadget under the yep. sun. Yep. And so I think – one of the, from what I'm seeing, the, the positive of, of you can quantify everything now, sleep, hydration, your fatigue, sure. you can quantify everything, force production, absorption. So now when you can, you can look at all that on a piece of paper of what's improving, what's not. Now you got to search for different answers yeah. because the old methods that this is what's always worked. All of a sudden it's not getting the results. That we want, so it's causing. I feel like it's causing people to go a little deeper and be more open-minded to different solutions that's outside the box.
1: Again, because you have to have answers and you have to be able to explain what's happening physiologically. And um, you know, sometimes people have a hard time understanding how can an isometric lunge, when you've never run before, make you faster. Well, if the reflex arcs are correct and you are in the right position, you will get faster. Right. I mean, it's
2: broadening your horizons, right? Oh, yeah getting out of that tunnel vision. there's one thing as um, you kind of see with interns, I know I saw it in myself as a young coach is, is you grow up under one system or one philosophy and you think, oh, that's the way. and then you right. go to a new experience and you go, oh shoot, no, that's the way. Right. And you you soon learn, usually the hard way um, that again, everything's connected, and there's something you can take from each experience, from each person who's presenting on something from each person in their expertise. Um, It's just all about your filter.
1: Yeah. I tell people this story all the time when I spent some time with Mel Siff before he passed. I go into his basement. And I was probably in my middle 20s. Thought I knew it all. And he's talking. I'm listening. And he's he's brilliant. I mean, he could speak and make your head spin. So he said, well, what's your passion? What's your interest? I said, making people fast and getting really strong. He's like, okay, great. He goes, uh, do you do any aerobic work? I'm like, no, nah, I don't believe in it. And he goes, okay. He goes, I want you to look at my library of books I have. So we go into his basement, and it was this vast, he had books from everywhere. So he goes, each side of the wall had a different philosophy. I'm like, oh, where's all the speed stuff? He goes, that's on that wall right over there, all the Russian research, all the stuff. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. He's, you ain't going over there. You're going over here. I'm like, over where? So like, pull out the first book, and it was a cross-country book. <laughs> And I'm like, <laughs> that's great. I don't want to do this. He's like, I don't care what you want to do. You're going to understand why you don't like that right. before you tell me everything that's bad about it. And I'm like, then he started saying, you could do this in, in your relationships. In the middle of an argument, say. switch sides and argue for the other person and then see what happens. And I'm like.
2: Oh, boy. So that's empathy right there, putting yourself in someone else's shoes yeah. or just seeing the argument or discussion from a different perspective. Yep.
1: And he goes, How are you truly going to master knowing anything about power and speed if you don't know everything about why you don't do the other stuff? Good point. So I Good sat chat. in that basement and studied for a while. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what a great, great lesson. That's a great story. Yeah. What would you say to young coaches coming up today?
1: That uh, What advice would you give them? Know your history. And just because the field is changing, don't think that the guys who started stuff and, and have great ideas and back in the day, go spend some time with them. Because you'll learn a lot about what's coming around now. Like we're talking about isometrics right now, right? The Russians were talking about that in the early 60s. And now all of a sudden people are going, oh, isometrics are great. Well, the Russians come back, back, back around. Yeah. yeah, It'll come back around. So, so go after the people that have been in the business for a while and just listen to them, even though you might not have the same philosophy because you just got out of school and you know everything. Listen to them. They will enlighten you.
2: Yeah. One thing, uh, one common question I get from interns is when they read all of our staff bios, they'll see that I interned under Cal for yeah. seven to eight months and, you know, talk to me about eccentrics and isometrics. And I, I always try to stop them and say, look, Cal did an amazing job popularizing eccentrics and isometrics, but they've been around forever. Right. So I'm like, do you want to start anywhere? Yeah. There's plenty of stuff that the Russians were doing. Fifty years ago,
1: even volume control of how we um, how we self regulate and and how many sets or reps we do based off the performance. I still use the stuff. I I don't know if you guys have the DV hammer. Yeah, Yeah. I I, I mean, I still use that stuff with my tracking. Well, how how can you manage volume? How do I know if a a a tenth grade kid can run twenty sprints and the senior can run five sprints? Well, their time tells me. When they can't run fast anymore, they're done. Could be five sets. Could be twenty. I don't know. I'm not that smart to figure that out. So we will we will control volume that way. Still, that's years old.
2: Yeah, and the best part of that, I think, is that uh, there wasn't all the new fancy technology when right. that was discovered. Right? It was right. a stopwatch,
1: and and then Cal was talking about it today. Yeah. Right. So I mean, you know, li- listen to who's like Louis Simmons. I learned so much from him. I I don't do a lot of the stuff that he does, but I <laughs> certainly <laughs> learned learn a lot him. from him. Yeah. I learned about the grind. There's that guy doesn't miss days of lifting. He just doesn't. He does the same thing every day. I respect that.
2: Yeah, Westside Barbell posted the other day on Instagram, uh, the recovery day. And I was looking at it like, oh, man, I'd be shot doing that. Yep.
1: It was
0: basically another
1: lift. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a big bodybuilding lift.
1: Yep. He. That, that's a different breed. But, again, you can learn something from everybody. Absolutely.
0: Coach, what kind of... Um, I know you. You definitely read a lot. Any books you've been reading lately? Any, any recommendations?
1: Uh, it's it's not more. It's not as much about books as it is about people I study. Like the guy that's intriguing me now is Dr. Jack Cruz. I don't know if you guys have heard of Dr. Jack Cruz. Look him up. Look him he's, up. He's uh, he's more on the nutritional side. He's a brain neurosurgeon, but he's kind of figured out the whole diet thing, and uh, he's got some pretty profound ideas and he's off the chart brilliant um to the point again where those types of people make a lot of people angry because it challenges their belief systems but love listening to him talk and read his stuff Um, so that's kind of where i go and then you know you work your way back the guy's a neurosurgeon so he knows certain things about the brain what happens when you eat certain foods neurochemicals and here we go and now we trace it all back to performance and if a person can get in and out of a car pain-free or a person's trying to jump 43 inches there's no difference to me mm-hmm. to me it's it's about performance very true very true
0: jack cruz that was his name
1: yeah dr jack cruz to look him up he's the man he's the man
0: anything else coach the today
2: i feel like we could talk for hours but uh that's all I got right now, Coach. I appreciate your time coming to visit with us today. It's been awesome. So, yeah. um, if any of our listeners do want to connect with you um, or reach out to you, um, do you have any contact information you would be
1: willing to share? Yeah, they can uh, They can hop on our Instagram page. Um, I think it's WGF1. Um, we have a Facebook page. I have a personal Facebook. So we're we're all over the Internet. Um, never been a big marketing guy. Um, no. You know, my rule was when I started training athletes was if the father or mother calls me three times, leaves me a message three times, then I'll call them back because I know that they're that serious about training. If they call me once and they never call back, they never wanted to train anyways.
0: Sure, you gotta yeah, you do gotta be persistent for sure. (laughs) Well, cool. Well, Coach Dan, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, doing this podcast today, interview with you and thank you for making time coach Hanson. Thank you for making the connection Yes, sir. You're the man. So yes, sir I uh, I heard Cal
2: in a podcast drop your name. Okay and Anytime Cal does that I've learned um, over the years that it's probably a pretty important resource yeah. So took me a little bit to find you That's um, awesome. When I first asked Matt Van Dyke, I was like, do you know, do you know who Dan Victor is? He's like, I have no idea who that is yeah. and a few weeks later after going to the what is it, the Chicago, TFC? Yeah, yeah, out to Chicago. he came back and he goes I know who Dan Victor is and uh he's gonna come visit and we're just glad that you made
1: the trip to Austin. So thanks for the invite. It's been awesome. It's well been we're awesome. gonna get you some Tex Mex
0: tonight, I think. I think yeah. that's accurate. And we gotta get in barbecue, we'll get in barbecue before barbecue he gets at out some of here. Point. But can you do it one time before you can you do a hook 'em for us, Coach? Hook 'em. Hook 'em. Hook em. He's a, hook em. Coach is a a, a Longhorn fan oh, and we definitely that, that's even more special to have you here. So we thank you for your support of our programs here at Texas and uh it's been real. Coach Hanson, thank you for joining us today. And that's it from the Team Behind the Team podcast. We will catch you on the next episode. Hook em, horns. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mae, and thanks so much for tuning in.